Good morning. So um, today we're going to be continuing in our teaching series, uh, moving our way through the book of Acts. And when we think about the world we're in today, when we think about uh, kind of our daily life, uh, what life is like in our culture today, uh, things are busy, right? And things are busy because in many ways we have opportunities, we get to do things, our children, our grandchildren have opportunities to pursue things that uh, are just new in this world, right? The opportunities that just didn't exist uh, for previous generations, and, and it keeps us, because we don't want to miss things, plugged in. For example, uh, I have a friend uh, who his son is in a lacrosse tournament in Baltimore this weekend. They left on Friday, flew to Baltimore in the tournament, flying back this afternoon, not going to miss any work, on the Atlantic seaboard, in a lacrosse tournament, and it's like, that's just a weekend. Like, that's just what you do, right? Like, that's how things work. What that requires of us, though, is a whole different skill set as people. And one of the words that I have started using, probably we use at Covenant, I'm sure you've heard this before, I don't know if it's in the dictionary, but it makes sense, it's a new verb, and that verb is called calendaring. We have to do a lot of calendaring in this world today. For my wife and I, with our two kids, it feels like we're running a small business out of our house a lot of the time, because every day is unique, and every week, and summer, which is relaxing, uh, means that you are just having, having to fill all these different moments, and it's like, okay, you're going here, and then this drop-off happens at this time, and if you can swing out of that and pick her up, then you take her here, and it's like, okay, so we go to, you know, swim thing here, it's like, no, we're not going to swim thing, it happens at this house, and then they're going to the swim thing, but then you got to be available to get some snacks to go and pick up afterwards, and then tomorrow's going to be crazy. So, you know, we go from there, and we're moving here, and you're moving here, and then we got to do this as a staff, and the staff at Covenant, we're calendaring, and we're trying to figure out there's VBS, and there's all these different things going on, and they're wonderful, and there's a trip to, you know, Oklahoma City, and who's doing that, and you know, all this just, it's stuff happening, and calendaring is becoming a skill more and more and more that is required of us, wherever we live, wherever we work, wherever we play. Ironically, or interestingly, if you think of the defining moments of your life, my bet is that many of them, if not most of them, of the most defining moments of your life came from things you didn't plan for. Despite our obsession with planning and calendaring and controlling our lives and schedules, it's the things that come in sideways, it's the things that come in from left field that so many of the times are what changes forever. It's not the things we planned on. Think about in your own life, the things that have really shaped and formed you and how many of them happened like when you thought, as you thought, you know, as planned for. Some of them, but many of them didn't. Like, take for example for me, just in, in my life, off the top of my head, big picture things. Uh, it was a, a, a couple of months after graduating from college for me in August of 1997. I was at a beach party uh, for a program I was teaching in J uh, English in Japan called the JET program. Uh, I had just arrived in the country over there and had this beach party to welcome in different teachers who had been uh, coming from around the world to teach in these schools in Japan. I met a young lady from Wales who became my wife. We've been married for 20 years now. I did not wake up that day and look on my calendar. Um, now, I was a 22-year-old guy, so I didn't have a calendar at that point. It was like, I don't know. There's apparently a party. I think I'm going to go to that. But if I had had a calendar, you get what I'm trying to say. There was nothing on the schedule that day to meet my spouse, which is going to change your life forever, right? 
Or, for example, uh, while I was in Japan, living there for two years, as many of you know, that's where I became a Christian. That's where I came to faith, through this little house church in Japan. I had to get away from the machine of American Christianity to actually begin to understand there might be something spiritual to this whole church Christianity thing. That was just my journey with it. But when I agreed to go teach on this program in a majority Buddhist and Shinto country, seminary wasn't on my radar screen of going, I feel like Jesus is going to become real. Right? I feel like that's going to happen, and not only am I going to become a Christian, but I bet it's going to impact the job that I'm going to have for my career. It's these things that come in sideways that often like, um, uh, change our lives and shape our lives in a whole bunch of different ways, and I bet it's the same with you. I know it's the same for our world. Think about the defining moments in our world. How many of them did we kind of plan on and everything happened when we thought as we thought? It was just a regular day, Tuesday morning, where I had a busy schedule like many of you when I first heard that a plane had flown in the World Trade Center. And all of a sudden, your life and the world changes. So while we're in this like highly calendaring, strategizing, this is my career, this is my path, this is how things are going to work, this is the idea I have, this is our family, this is my goals, this is when I'm going to get married, this is when I'm going to have kids, this is when I'm going to retire, this is what it's going to look like, I've got my goals, I've got my dreams, I've got my plans, I've got my strategy, and we're calendaring all the time to make it happen. And I'm not saying that that's bad, but it's ironic that so many of the defining things are the unexpected, the things that come in sideways that can change us forever. Now, for some people, that's a really anxiety-producing thing, right? Because it's like the reason we can calendar and we like that is it gives us the illusion of control. So it's like, so, so some of us, and I would raise my hand to this, we like the feeling of being in control, right? It's why we get frustrated if our phones don't upload in like less than a second, because it's like, I just can't believe like ESPN's not coming up exactly when I want it, because it's when I want it right now. I love the idea of just getting information when I want it. We love the idea of being in control. And when you look at your life and realize that some of the most important things are things you didn't plan on, you didn't work for, you didn't strategize for, it reveals to us the illusion that control really is. A diagnosis that you get or a loved one gets changes your world forever. We're not in control. We love the poem Invictus, I'm the master of my fate, I'm the captain of my destiny. It's a great poem, it's just not true. (laughs) It's just not true but we love the feeling of it, right? It's like, yeah, I'm in charge of my life and my goals and my career and my priority, except for all the really important things that seem to have come in surprisingly. So it can fill us with anxiety when it's like, yeah, we're really not in control. But for you and I, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, there should not be something anxiety-producing when we realize how little control over the important things of life we have. Because we don't believe in a God who's off in heaven just looking down on us going, I don't know, it's going to be tough. Uh, Good luck with that one. That sounds like it's going to be a pretty stressful afternoon. I hope it works out for you. And we don't just believe in the spirit of love, which means nothing. We believe in a God that is active and moving in the world, reconciling the world to himself. Um, And so what we do is when we realize we don't have control, we're looking for the fingerprints of God on the world around us. We're looking for God who brings things into our life, who brings people into our life, who gives us nudges, who leads us in different ways, who opens up opportunities. And when we face difficult things or tragic things that happen, we're looking for that God that redeems and and reconciles and transforms those things. And so we look to that God to guide us and lead us. That's what it means to follow God. And that is the gift of Pentecost. What we talk about as Christians is that that the presence of God in the world is the presence of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And Pentecost Sunday, which is today in the church calendar, is when we celebrate the Spirit coming into the world. And that's what we're going to read about now. 
okay? The last verse we're going to read is the Apostle Peter standing up and preaching his first sermon ever. He didn't have credentials to do this, hadn't gone to a course, he didn't have a mentor in it, he hadn't trained in it, he hadn't spent weeks preparing. But all of a sudden, at the end of this day, he preaches. And it says at the end of chapter 2, 3,000 people come to faith. If he had had a calendar, which maybe he did, I promise you when he woke up on Pentecost, he wasn't sitting there going, I'm going to preach a really good sermon by the end of the day. But something happened. And the world was never the same. Let's read Acts 2, starting in verse 1, as we continue in this teaching series, our journey continues going through Lent. Here's what it says. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Eliamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene. Luke was very thorough in reporting who was there. And visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, no matter who we are or how we walk in here, I pray we would encounter you, your living spirit today in our midst, that we would hear your gospel, your good news, and it would change us all forever. We pray this with confidence because we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, friends. Now, this this day of Pentecost, Pentecost Sunday, which we celebrate with the Spirit coming and the kind of the birth of the church, uh, this is not something that has its roots in Acts chapter 2. The festival of Pentecost comes from the Old Testament. It it is one of the seven major festivals that sort of outlined uh, the Jewish uh, calendar and year. They sort of organized their calendars uh, around it, around these seven major festivals. The Feast of Pentecost was one of those seven festivals, okay? And it took place 50 days after the Passover. Every year it took place 50 days after the Passover, and it was a great celebration because it was a celebration of harvest and of wheat and grain. And so this was God's giving and God's bounty pouring into the lives of people, providing food and a harvest for them, and that's why they gathered to celebrate at Pentecost. It was a great celebration. But just as we read about in Luke, when we read about Holy Week and we read about the the cross and the crucifixion and the resurrection and we said all that took place in Jerusalem during Passover, we said that was important because during Passover, all these pilgrims, uh, Jews from, from all of the places that Luke exhaustively talks about in there, are all coming to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And so the city is sort of boiling over with the anticipation when the events of the crucifixion and resurrection happen. Right? And that's important to remember when we think about Holy Week. 
Similarly, with Pentecost, which we celebrate today, Jerusalem was filled with pilgrims who were there for this major festival, the festival and celebration of harvest. And it's while they're there that the disciples are praying in this upper room, and then this crazy stuff starts happening, and that there's tongues of fire, it says, above each of their heads, and it says they start speaking in different languages, and yet while they're speaking in different languages, the crowd of people from all these different cultures and countries and languages and, and customs are all outside, and they're hearing in their own language. So what do we, what do, we do with this? Uh, scholars, as scholars are prone to do, have a lot of opinions and then debates about what we should talk about in this. And some of the stuff I was reading was good stuff. Uh, some said that we should be focusing on, uh, is the church today able to be nimble like the church was to just respond to what the Spirit's doing? Or do our mechanisms take mechanisms and our committee upon committee upon committee have to approve everything before we can make any changes? And, and do we need to stay mim- nimble enough to the Spirit? And that might be, a, you know, an appropriate way of talking about it. Um, there are others that say, you know, we need to deal with the miraculous here and and people speaking in different languages, whether it's speaking in tongues or whether it's speaking in the tongues of uh, of different languages, we don't know and scholars are going to debate about that. And then, uh, you know, people hearing in their own language and are we open to the miraculous of God just working in our life under these calendaring, strategic, controlled environments? And that may be true. It's all appropriate. We're not going to be able to talk about all of Pentecost today, but but what I want to talk about for a couple of minutes and what I want us wondering about is the what it means to live as Pentecost people here and now. Because the same Holy Spirit we're reading about coming in Acts chapter 2 is still alive in the world today, right? That power is still alive in the world today. And you and I are part of Acts 29, as we said that. The book of Acts is 28 chapters, but if you read the 28th chapter, it doesn't really sum everything up. The story just kind of stops, meaning that the story is still being written. The story of the church is still being written. And so both in Austin, but all around the world today, Acts chapter 29 is still being written in your life and in my life here together. So as the Spirit acted then, that's how the Spirit's called to act with us today. So what difference does it make? What difference should it make to your life and the way you live it that we are a people where Pentecost is the day we celebrate, the coming of the Spirit, this third person of the Trinity? And what I want to suggest from this text is that we understand through Pentecost that God is a God both of intimacy and power. And that our lives and our relationship with God and the way we live, and we are meant to have intimacy with God, but also we're supposed to live our lives with power that comes from God. Now, what do we mean by that? First, this idea of intimacy. It kind of seems like a strange text to talk about intimacy, but there is this change. If you look at kind of the bigger arc of Scripture, right? Think about like in the creation story in Genesis, God creates the heavens and the earth and God is sort of almost outside like looking at this creation and going, well, it's good. And the second day he goes, that's good. And the third day he says, that's good. And then he creates uh, Adam and Eve. And and while they're in the garden, it seems like at times God is there and present and interacting with them. But other times God just seems to disappear. They can't detect God. And that's when bad stuff happens because they don't think they're being watched at that point. So they start making the rules up on their own. But God is sort of uh, absent in their mind at least, and then seems present. And so then the story sort of continues on from there, and and God starts shaping his people. He creates a covenant with them, saying, I'll be your God, and you'll be my people. I'm going to be more distinct and particular about that. And then he gives them the law, the Torah, which fills so much of the Old Testament. He says, okay, well, if you're going to be my people, let me get a little closer to you, and let me tell you what your life ought to look like, and and here's the law about what you're to do or what you're not to do. And then he gets a little closer to them again, because the people like you and I wander away from doing what they're supposed to do, so he sends the 
prophets to him. And all of a sudden God's going, well, I'm not just going to write stuff down on parchment, but I'm going to have people who are called to come to you and speak to you and remind you of what it means to be my people. People like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos and Hosea, these people that are going to come to you to, to be my voice. And then at the beginning of the New Testament, God gets a little closer and more intimate still because God then comes in the flesh. As, as Eugene Peterson translates in the message, he says, God moves into the neighborhood with Jesus, which is just such a great idea. God moves into the neighborhood. He's Emmanuel, we sing about in Advent and at Christmas. God with us. And all of a sudden, God's gone from this creator that sort of seems there and is not there to in the New Testament, we can talk to God and hear from God and ask God questions and watch how God operates with people. And now that Jesus has ascended to the Father, we find the Holy Spirit coming and the Spirit is now incredibly intimate with us because the Spirit is around us, but we see the Spirit also dwells within us. See, this movement of God and God's relationship with his people and now through the spirit that's around them but within us. And there's something wonderfully intimate about that. It can be easy to lose that in sort of the sensational um, uh, images that conjure up in Pentecost. There are these people and there's tongues of fire and they're speaking different languages and it feels kind of chaotic. It doesn't feel very Presbyterian. Uh, you know, it's like, it's like, you know someone was sitting there going, did someone approve this? Can we have a committee who will study this for a little while, please, just to make certain we're okay, right? Sec yes, somebody, absolutely. <laughs> Although, Rhonda, I didn't call for a second yet, so you need to wait for I call for a second as we follow Robert's rules completely, right? Like, this is, this is how it works, right? It, and so it doesn't seem, intimacy is not really the word that may initially come to mind, but think about this for a minute. Think about how everyone there is a part of Pentecost individually. It says that the first disciples have tongues of fire appear above their head. It's not that three of them did. It wasn't the favorite four. It wasn't six. It wasn't nine. It was all of them did. All of them began speaking in these tongues. Not one of them was left out. And as a crowd started gathering to hear what's going on, every one of them was included. Every one of them was addressed. Every one of them heard in their own language. God wasn't looking at any of the thousands that gathered going, you don't really belong. It's like, if you hear, you will hear in a way that opens your heart and your ears to who God is and how much God loves you. There's something wonderfully intimate about this that every single individual in that crowd, they weren't just part of a crowd. God saw every single one of them as he does today in this room, reaching out individually and bringing them in. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing to think about how God does that today and that God's within us and, and dwelling within us and around us but sees us? It's amazing that Peter then stands up and preaches the sermon. I, I wonder what happened in Peter in that. Because again, there wasn't a committee, there wasn't a group that like goes, we've appointed you to do this and you have the necessary training. Something in Peter awoken and he just stood up and begins preaching and teaching in this way. There's something of the spirit and the intimacy of that that you wonder what that nudge was in Peter. What that was that caused him to stand. As people of Pentecost, you and I need to know that God is incredibly intimate and personal with us. It changes how we live when we look for God in that way, when we listen to those nudges and to those whispers and to those voices, doesn't it? 
I had an amazing conversation uh, over the last couple of days with a, 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 a member of our church, someone who's part of our community, uh, who was all nervous because he went on a vacation recently, which sounds like a weird thing to be nervous about, but he was kind of nervous about a vacation because he really felt for the first time in his life that God was calling him to go on a vacation. And he said, but I think that the way that God's calling me to go is God wants me to form this vacation like differently than any. I am a planner. I like knowing what I'm doing. When I travel, I've got my little calendar. I've got the times. I've got everything worked out. This is what I do. But he goes, I really believe God is calling me to to go abroad for a month and to go. And some of it's going to be with my family and loved ones. But he said, I think at the end of this, God is calling me for my family to go back and for me to just have a week with nothing planned to see what God wants to do. And he said, I do. I, I don't, I've never done anything like this. Am I, you know, am I, am I doing the wrong thing? Or, well, he went, waiting to see at the end what God would do. And I just saw him for the first time a couple of days ago, listening to that nudge. And when I saw him, you could tell something powerful had happened. He came back and he said, yeah, I was nervous the whole time. I'm trying to enjoy the vacation with my family, but I knew the time was coming. They're like, why are you staying? Like, I don't know. I think God wants me to. And they're like, I don't, I don't, like, that makes me uncomfortable you talking that way. And uh, I don't even know what that means. And everything else. He goes, I don't know what it means, but I just, I really feel this. And I want to be available. And right at the very end, right before that last week started, he got to know some people where he was. And they asked him like, oh, hey, we're all going to this um, this celebration next week. Um, Do you want to come with us? He said, yeah, i got nothing. To do. Yeah, I'll go with you. And he went with him on this trip. And he said that he went and was a part of what became kind of a pilgrimage. And he looked at me and he said, Thomas, I encountered the Lord like never before in my entire life. And it was like flowing from him as he's talking in this way. And he was like, it's just been unbelievable. He goes, I just was saturated with the Holy Spirit in a way I didn't know was possible. And I feel like a wholly different person before because he listened and paid attention just to this nudge, just to this idea that God might be looking at him in in all of the globe and all of the population and and, in all of the things going on in this world that, that take our breath away and our beauty and our horror, that God is big enough to see all of that, but small enough that he was looking at that person going, listen to my voice. And God sees us in that way as well. God sees you whispering to us, intimate with us, personal with us, guiding us should change how we live. The most important things in life are not the things we strategize about. The most defining things are often the unexpected. And my friend, listen to it. It's changing him forever. What might God have in store for you this week? Living this way uh, is a beautiful idea. It's a beautiful concept. I heard someone phrase it in a way that it makes it memorable to me in the difference in Pentecostal living when God is active and moving in our lives and speaking to us. Uh, This individual is the president of the seminary where where John Wasson went, Princeton Seminary, and uh, his name is Craig Barnes. Craig Barnes says that when you understand this, that God is active and personal, you understand life in a different way. He said, it means that life, and listen, this 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 is a great Great phrase. And I can say that because it's not my phrase. I'm quoting it. He said, it means when we believe in this act of God, this Pentecost God, that life is meant to be received more than it's meant to be achieved. Life is meant to be received far more than it's meant to be achieved. 
It's a different way of living. It's a different way of being. That nudge, that whisper of the Holy Spirit that brings in something that all of our planning and strategizing misses. If you go through this summer with all of your plans and the high points at the end of the summer are the things you planned on the high points being today when all the plans came together, you missed what God had for you. And the reason we often miss it is because we're sitting there going, this is the schedule, this is what we planned, this is what we're going to experience, this is how it's going to be. Now, I'm not saying that planning is bad, but what I'm saying is, as people of Pentecost, we always got to be open to that thing coming in sideways that might even seem inconvenient for a moment, and God's going, hey, this is one of those life-changing things. No, 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 this is my life. We can't have variables coming in to change it. Life is meant to be received far more than it's meant to be achieved. But also, it's not just a a God and a Pentecost is a time of of intimacy. It's a time of power. A power comes from the disciples. and A power comes from Peter when he preaches. It's a power that's not meant for ourselves. It's not God's looking at Peter going, Peter, you're just so special. I want to give you this gift so that you feel special. It's that Peter is given this gift, for instance, of preaching so that it spills forth from him to others. And that's the other part of being caught up in God's spirit is that our lives are meant to make a difference to others. We are not here for our own pleasure, our own career, our own accumulation of stuff, our own wealth, our own vacation, and everything that's just about us and the lives we want to live. But there is something about a bigger story that this power calls us into as Pentecost people. And that the places where we live, work, and play should be different when God's unexpected things come in. It's not just about us. It's a power that flows through us that we're a part of, of God changing lives around us. You were meant for that, every one of you, in different ways. I got to be a part of that this week in ways that I hadn't planned on. I got to see it. This week I was traveling to Charlotte, North Carolina for a couple of days with a delegation from this church. We were co-hosting an event with churches from around the country um, that was part of an international relationship we have here at Covenant. And so we had worked for a long time as one of the co-hosts to plan this event. I mean, you know what it's like when you plan an event especially when you have people from around the country coming and you got to like who's flying in and who has the schedule and who's picking them up from the airport and uber is a great thing because we're just like yeah we forgot about you just uber it'll be good uh but you know you're trying to keep the pieces going and who's eating where and when's it going to happen it's just logistic 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 planning 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 and it went really well like it was a really cool meeting and some great stuff came from it for what we hoped it would be but Potentially the most powerful thing for me was something that didn't show up on the agenda at all, that was not planned for or prepared. Took place on the last day we were together. It was on Thursday. And we're meeting in in, in a church in downtown Charlotte, talking about all this stuff. But um, we had a lunch reservation on Thursday. And because we were in sort of the meat of the conversation, and I bet you've been a part of meetings like this, conversation's going, but but the pastor hosting us said, guys, we got to end the discussion right now because we have a lunch reservation at this restaurant it's right across the street. It's one of the most popular places in Charlotte. And if, you, if we're late, they're going to give our table away. And so we need to just kind of table the discussion for a second. Let's walk over there, and then we'll have it while we're there. Okay? So we all get up. We're still trying to talk, and it felt like an inconvenience. We're walking across the street. People are still talking. It's in downtown Charlotte, and we just go to this building. 
It's one of those nice new, like in Austin, uh, mixed-use uh, office buildings, uh, probably 20, 25 stories, uh, you know, those office buildings on the ground floors, these boutique stores, and then these kind of really nice uh, restaurants, and we all go walking in, and, and, and it looked great, and it's just kind of clean and, and modern and nice and, and awesome, and it's filled with people, and we, we got our table, uh, and while we're sitting there, the pastor who was hosting us just kind of threw out, because we're in this whole other agenda conversation. He goes, hey, you know, this restaurant has like a ministry element to it. It's kind of a cool thing. We're here. And then just like kept moving. Like, again, we're talking, trying to wrap up this meeting. But all of a sudden, this seed is planted in my head, right? I'm like, what does that mean? This restaurant has a ministry component to it. But it's this like, I mean, if you look at it online, it's one of the most popular restaurants, highly rated restaurants in downtown Charlotte. The food came. It was amazing. It was so good. Uh, you know, again, this great setting. But it still is questions running around in my head. In fact, it's running around to the point that it's hard for me to focus on the conversation I'm co-hosting, trying to, like, get everything right. And so finally, I sit up in the middle of lunch, in the middle of the rush, and I go up to our waitress. And waitress and waiters love this in the middle of the busiest part of their day when you stop them and say, hey, could I ask you a question about something? And they're like, Yes. I have nothing else to do. Just watching their tips go down as the other tables get frustrating. Because you're talking, I said, I said, I really apologize, but just someone told me there's, there's like a ministry aspect to this. Well, I don't get what that means. And she goes, oh my gosh, that's amazing. She said, the person who started this restaurant, it's a, it's a couple. They had started uh, several restaurants in Charlotte. And she said, you don't have to be a Christian if you're here. And I don't want you to feel uncomfortable or anything, but they're, they're a Christian. And uh, they were in church one day. And while they were in church one day, God said, we want you to start a different kind of restaurant to love your neighbors well. And I said, well, what is, like, I don't understand what that means. And she goes, well, there's a couple things we do. She said, the first thing is that all of our produce is, is locally grown. It's supporting local farmers that we know, and it's trying to reduce our carbon footprint and uh, everything else. And so that's one thing. We have places like that in Austin. And then she said, but one of the other really cool things that happens here is that all of the staff are people who have just gotten out of prison. All of the waiters, all of the waitresses, all of the cooks, including the assistant manager, all of whom are being trained on a high-end restaurant industry so that they have the opportunity to get great employment as they move out away from incarceration, out into influencing their communities. For many of them, a job seems almost impossible, but these people are being trained at a high-level restaurant. He said that when the couple had this idea, they went to investors who had given money for their first few restaurants, and all of them were like, no way, we're not giving to that. So the couple had to find ways to put their own investment and their own money into it, but it was over two years old, and she said, as someone who was released six months ago, I can't tell you what it means to be a part of what's taking place here and the things that God is doing in my life. And all of a sudden, for me, my head's moved off of the agenda of what we're meeting going, that is amazing. And what would that look like at Covenant? And what would that mean in Austin? And what could that, it just like opened up these whole possibilities. And it was frustrating because the people at the table wanted to keep talking about the agenda. And I'm like, guys, did you hear? 
what she just said. Like, wow, I mean, um, where we are today, because these people who had, who had this, this plan and this successful plan of their life and work had received a vision from God in worship, and it had changed the way that they were running their business. And then seeing that, for me, received something in the midst of a different agenda, and all of a sudden, my head's running in a hundred different directions of what that God could be doing through us and doing in Austin. And it's this crazy thing that on the flight back from Charlotte, I am now giving thanks for the amazing ministry uh, that, that, that took place in the meeting we planned, but my head and heart are in this whole different thing of what's going on. And I have no idea what it means for us. But if our life is much more about receiving than achieving, maybe, just maybe, God was going, imagine what life might look like now. Imagine what life might hold for you today if we understand that it's far more about receiving than achieving. That's what Pentecost means. And so we're going to invite you today to be open to that in your life, in your family, in your friendships, to be open to the life God has for you, which might look different than the life that you've carefully planned for yourself. So we're going to do that by inviting you to pray, because I usually like to give you action steps, but it seems hypocritical to say, life's about achieving, uh, receiving, uh, not achieving, so here's the things to do this week. But what we see at the beginning of Pentecost is that the way the disciples just got open to that is they just spent time in prayer. And so we're going to invite you to pray today. We're going to try you to do it in, uh, as a congregation, and there are going to be some different ways. Number one is there's going to be a song that's going to be played, and you can pray through music. Music is a form of prayer. You might pray through the words of this. I'm going to invite you to kind of posture yourself and your body, and the band can, can, can all come back up, um, to posture yourself and your body in a way to receive that prayer. And what that means is you might pray in a different way, but we're going to pray as, as a, a guest preacher taught us a couple of years ago, to pray, and while we're praying, to hold our, our, our hands out with our palms open. And as Tom Toole reminded us when he preached here, he said, it's a way of praying where you're posturing your body, where you're saying, God, put into my hand what you want to put in, and take out from my hand what you want to take out. I want to live your life and the life you have for me. And thirdly, while this song's being played, there's going to be some people who are going to just come um, to the front of the room on either side of the stage, and they would love to pray with you. There's nothing more powerful than having other people here and lift you before the Lord. And if you would like to pray and to be prayed for, you can come up and confidentially share with them. And I'm going to invite them to come now and to just sort of line up so that you have a sense of where they are. And you will be welcomed to come and have people just, just kind of come up while the music's happening and just pray with them for a couple of seconds. Let them pray for you. That in all of this, we might be good receptacles to what the Spirit of God wants to do in our life this day, this week, so that we might have life and have it abundantly. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together.